Hello, it's Paul Scott here, and today I'm talking to S3. The ticket is S-T-E-M. Um, quickly do some disclaimers. Um, this is not intended as financial advice. I do not have a personal shareholding in the company, and I'm not charging a fee for talking to the company. So today I'm joined by um, Timo Lehner, CEO, and Andy Beach, CFO of S3. So hello, gentlemen. Hi, Paul. Hello. It's really good to speak to you. Likewise. Excellent. Um, now, let's just start, if you wouldn't mind, by giving an overview of S3 for people who are not familiar with the company. Yeah, I think I would start off with that. So, um, S3 has been roughly founded as more than 35 years ago. Um, it's a pure play STEM specialist staffing business. And with STEM, we mean focusing on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics. And next to the STEM focus, we predominantly um, are recruiting in the, we call it flexible talent world. So we recruited contract specialists or employed contract specialists, which is one of our core specialities. But yeah, overall, big focus on bringing these niche skilled experts together and support our customers, organizations, uh, and yeah, to 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 solve some of the, the big problems society has today, nowadays, whether it's in IT or it's in life science or in engineering. And you've got quite a broad uh, geographic spread, haven't you, as well? Could you touch on that? Yes. Um, yeah, we're operating at the moment in 14 countries uh, with roughly 42 offices and just short of 3,000 internal-owned staff. And some of our bigger offices are, are uh, Germany, the U.S., um, Netherlands are probably our top three markets, and then we also have quite sizable presence in both Japan and UK. So those are probably the four or five top regions that we operate in, which are really big STEM markets where these sort of skill sets are required. Yeah, so that gives quite a nice spread of sort of forex exposure and so on, I suppose, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, very well balanced, yeah, yeah indeed. Yeah, okay. Um, now, the, the main reason I wanted to interview you, because I keep reporting in my Stockopedia reports on how... Um, impressive your trading updates are the, the the guidance keeps rising you keep beating profit guidance this has been going on for about two years now uh, and despite slowing economies more recently so how have you achieved this outperformance yeah that's a good question thanks paul so uh i think and andy please uh, add on but mm. i believe it's a lot down to a strategic focus of really being niche and focus within stem and i, I cannot just keep on repeating this, but there are um, these absolute mega trends out there around demographics, uh, you know, the shortage of labor, the decarbonization of this world, the digitization, and particularly also after COVID, uh, this accelerated massively. And um, I always say there's a little bit where we're placing the backbone of the, of, the, of the company, basically, the guys who drive the innovation, the research, the, the, the digitization. And we have just seen um, a huge demand over the last years, and when we look at these mega trends, in particular, up to 2030 and even beyond, uh, we actually believe the demand will further increase because of shrinking workforces, um, aging populations, and just an overall absolute high demand in in these roles. To give you one example, BCG recently quoted, or I quote BCG, they said recently that in the U.S., even so the U.S. is one of the very few markets we're operating in where you don't have a shrinking workforce. Actually, the workforce is expanding, yet still they 
are roughly 6 million IT experts short until 2030 in the USA alone. So mm-hmm. that, that gives us a lot of um, backwind, tailwind, and um, yeah, I think the, 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 the really special thing about us as well is this big contract focus, focus around flexible talent, and we keep on reporting around our contractor order book, which gives us and also investors a, a, a good degree of visibility um, of at least the next four, five, six months and uh, of revenues coming in. And that, I think, is pretty unique about our business and shows as well that in history, when things become became a little bit tougher, like, for example, during the COVID crisis, um, we have seen less of an impact and bounce better back mm-hmm. and yeah, also quicker back um, than often the broader industry. Yeah, interesting. Um, my next question follows on nicely from that in terms of, uh, despite the fact that you were repeatedly beating the profit guidance um, this year, the share price has fallen a lot over the last year. Um, isn't this the stock market telling us it's worried about future earnings falling in a recession? So, so how would a recession impact S3? Okay, I think there are two questions in there. I mean, first of all, I would say we cannot obviously really comment specifically on the share price as it's something we cannot control. Obviously, I think you know better even the trading conditions for many listed companies across the world, particularly also in the UK, are slightly challenging. Um, We are not saying that we're immune against severe market changes, but we believe that we have shown that we're more resilient due to our niche focus within STEM and specifically, as I said, due to this focus on flexible talent. And I think we have really shown this in in recent years uh, that we have seen a huge amount of stability, but also overall outperformed many of our peers. In regard to the recession, I think um, I will answer it like this. I think we experience still a high demand from our customers around the world. So, yes, it has slowed a little bit, but it has not been reflective as probably some of the investors, analysts, or also some of the media would expect uh, the labor market to shift. There's still record um, employment levels in most of the territories where we're working, and there, in particular, there's still record open positions, for example, in Germany, for example, in the US at the moment, uh, in quite a few of our niches. And I think we're really confident um, that even if there's a recession, and obviously the, the overall uncertainty in the market due to cry, uh, the, the gas prices or the energy costs overall, also brings, at least for the candidates we place, uh, a few opportunities. Um, for example, in the wider energy field where we are pretty big, or even still in IT, because the automation, uh, the restructuring of supply chains is something companies still absolutely invest into because on the back of COVID, they have seen how vulnerable they are and that's something uh, which receives a lot of attention at the moment. Yeah, okay. And then <clears throat> a follow-up question on that as well. Um, I believe in the, in the, in the recruitment sort of staffing sector that overheads are mainly your own staff costs and that you pay bonuses and commissions and so on. So does that mean that your overheads are reasonably flexible if there was a, a, an economic downturn? Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're absolutely right. So around of our circa 300 million cost base, about 80, 80% of that is payroll related. Mm-hmm. Um, within that, about 30, 30% of that total payroll cost is 
directly related to performance, so commissions and bonuses, for example. So that that number will absolutely flex, you know, quite linearly with with our performance. Um, within that total payroll cost, around 80% represents our sales consultants, and the rest is our core functions. So about 2,000 or so people that are our sales consultants within the business. And again, that is certainly on the as you as you increase net fees or the opportunity to grow. That's where we'll absolutely add heads. It's absolutely, unfortunately, you know, worst case scenario in, in a downturn, then that is the area that we need to focus on and flex down um, as our net fees um, were to shrink. So that is, that is our flexibility within the business. It's very much our, our sales consultants, unfortunately. However, what I would like to say is that we're very much long-term focused. We're not going to be making rash short-term decisions based on economic uncertainty we're here to support as Tim had mentioned the mega trends the stem sectors across the medium and long term so we don't want to make rash short-term decisions because if it's a a short period of um, instability or uncertainty we want to make sure we've got the good qualified people and the people with the brilliant relationships with our clients and candidates to come out the other side and not actually hold us back returning to growth if there's a slowdown so we're going we would be very cautious on um on, on exiting any of our staff, but of course, in the absolute extreme case of a deep recession, then then that is unfortunately the area we need to look to. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, thinking about more more about the, the current energy crisis in in UK and Europe, um, I, I, going through your last set of results, I saw that quite a lot of your businesses in Germany and and nearby countries. So, and we were hearing in the press all about gas shortages for for German industry and a winter fuel crisis. Uh, how, how do you see that? Is that going to impact your customers and have a knock-on effect to you, perhaps? Yeah, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sitting, I'm working, I'm living in Germany, so I can give you a bit of a flavour of that. So mm-hmm. obviously, we're seeing some uncertainty uh, amongst our customers. In media, I think even more than probably amongst the customers at the moment, mainly due to the energy rise, uh, crisis, but also rising interest rates, etc. Um, I can just say, and we said it many times, we're observing that really closely. We're also in quite some close contact to many different customers from different industries. Um, but I think what's really positive, which just recently last few weeks came out, that as I would say almost expected, the German com- government was um, really um, inclined to um, launch another support program which they just initiated on reducing the energy prices for not only uh, private households but also for companies. I think it's a 200 billion um, investment package. Um, the full consequences and impacts of that are yet to be seen because there still needs to be a bit of clarity of who gets it, when and how. The government hasn't really revealed this yet, but I think that's a pretty positive sign and I think shows also that Germany uh, has the financial strength to, even if prices or prices for, for energies go up, will go up, that they can compensate it to a certain extent. However, mm. we're cognizant that these kind of market changes, as I said already before, um, can also create some opportunities and our energy business, which we have also in Germany, um, I wouldn't say yet um, has the full um, impact or positive impact of these investments, for example, in LNG terminates. But when we talk to our customers, they all say uh, there's pretty much and pretty big investments now coming. It's just a matter of time. And um, 
yeah, basically in which areas within energy it's going to be invested. But we are we are very very confident that we be able to 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 um, contribute to that, but also to participate of that investment in that sense. So it's a little bit early to say and to make full conclusions, but we're watching it very closely. And um, I read yesterday an article from again Larry Fink, CEO of BlackRock. Um, from BlackRock, and he said that actually he's pretty uh, less concerned about Germany um, because he thinks Germany is strong enough financially, and by summer next year, there will be many other alternatives of how they generate the energy, and then probably they just need to go through, get through that winter. Um, I think that is at least one perception which I would partly share. Okay, great. Um, now, going specifically back to S3, um, <clears throat> I was reading through your announcements um, last night, and I think it was back in January you flagged in advance this year that you had some planned cost increases, which would kick in in the second half of this year. I think the financial year ends November, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. That's, right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... Now, and that this could take one to two percent off your operating margin. Um, so, could you run us through what these increased costs are and what's the rationale for them? Yeah, sure, no problem, Paul. So, um, you're absolutely right. We have announced um, a series of investments over the next few years, which will have a short-term impact on our margins. Um, so, starting from the current financial year and then rolling across the next couple of years, we're investing in our core technology systems. So specifically our CRM, our ERP, and then towards the back end of the project or the program, um, our HR systems, our HRIS systems, also investing in a number of people initiatives. Um, we're pretty confident that these investments will help us deliver more sustainable uh, levels of productivity, which will make our teams more efficient, allow us more time to spend with our clients and candidates every day, which I think is really important, building relationships and making sure we have a good network and contact across um, our client and candidate community. Um, It's one of a number of ways that we are um, expecting to help us towards our um, conversion ratio, our operating profit conversion ratio target of 21% by 2024. So what we are saying is there'll be a short-term hit on our margins as we invest, but that those will then deliver better productivity in the medium term to help us uh, achieve even higher operating profits than we have historically achieved from FY24. Um, so we did signal that in the current year that we'd expect it to have a 1% or 2% margin impact and that they'd be broadly flat, around 17% year on year, so same as in uh, the, the prior financial year. The programs are going really well. Um, we've started the investments, uh, delivery, not, not delivering the benefits yet, but certainly the program is very much on track, pleased to say. Um, actually, we're going to probably come in a little lower in the current year than we had previously signaled uh, that you're referring to there, Paul. So we're probably coming in the low to the midpoint area of the guided range. Um, and that, together with the upgrades that we've made most recently in with our Q3 results, actually the latest city consensus is that our margins will in fact increase by around a percentage point from 17% last year to 18%, even with those investments. Um, but as I say, uh, over the next two or three years, we expect our margins to recover back to previous levels and beyond with the benefit of this and a number of other initiatives. And also, just to be really clear, these these numbers and these investments are fully baked into analyst forecasts. So there's no there's no new costs to come that aren't already in the in the market um, in the consensus. Great. That was going to be on my next question. Yeah. <laughs> okay. You've covered it. Yeah. That's good. Um, very often I asked. Mean, very often asked. 
Yeah, I'm probably asking the same questions that you get asked by analysts. Uh, you with music, <laughs> I should be able so to answer them. <laughs> probably know it off by heart, yeah. Um, <laughs> now, one of my readers just recently actually put up a question on margins saying that, um, you know, 16 17%, that sort of level seems seems quite high and that um, there's a smaller competitor in the UK called Gattaca that mm -hmm. also f focuses on STEM um, skills and they seem to struggle to make any money at all. So we were just wondering really um, why, why it is that you, you're making these, these quite chunky uh, profit margins and yet others seem to struggle to, to make any margin at all. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think there are there are different people you could compare us to. I think one thing you would compare if you're comparing to a Gattaca, potentially would there would be a scale element in there with back office costs being able to spread more broadly across 2,000 salespeople globally. So I think that mm. certainly scale helps. Um, I think we operate really well. We've got some really experienced teams that are efficient and have really good relationships with their contractors. We've got 12,000 or so contractors are working for us literally as we speak around the world and we have really good relationships with them. So I think we're able to respond really well and really quickly to our clients' demands. Um, and of course, that gives us a pretty good pricing ability because I don't want to brag too much, but I think we're very good at what we do and we're able to price accordingly, not unreasonably, but I think our pricing is is a very you know very good for what we do. I think if you compared us against some of the, the bigger UK listed staffers, I wouldn't say our margins are out of out of sync. And in fact, they're lower than some of our larger peers. Um, but if we do achieve our midterm ambitions to get to that 21%, which we believe is achievable, Tim and I are very much support and our, and our wider leadership team are all geared towards achieving that over the next two or three years, then that would put us towards the upper end range um, of our of the, the bigger uh, UK listed staffers, I mean, a couple of which are um, considerably bigger than us. Mm, yeah, I mean, just thinking while, uh, about the business while you're talking, it sounds like a lot of it really um, is, is relationship-based with the mm. contractors and the, and the customers. So does that make, if you do a good job for them then, are they really quite loyal and quite sticky, would you yeah, say? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the thing you really need to understand about our business. Some other, a number of other staffing businesses are more permanent placement focused, mm. um, where the relationship is very much largely with the client. Of course, you'd want to get continual mandates from the client to find candidates every time there's a permanent role. Being 75% of our business is contract, as Tima mentioned at the outset, you have to have really strong relationships, not just with the client to find them the right candidates, but you have to know all the candidates, that 12,000 contractors around the world. So you have to have really, really strong relationships with two groups and be able to bring them together. So the, the holy grail for us in, in, our, in our world is that those contractors will come back to us time and time again. As soon as their role finishes, they might work for us for nine, 12 months on a really important project on a wind farm in, in Holland, I don't know, for a crazy example. Um, and when it ends, or as it's coming to end, they will come back to us. What's next? What's my next nine-month project? So mm. for us, the easiest thing to, to build revenues and sustainable profits, but also it's hard because we've got to build relationships, is to be continually working with the contractors to find them the next role. So ideally, they would be with us for their whole careers and we'd be placing them contract after contract after contract. So that is, I would argue, so much more important than on a, on a permanent side business.
Yeah, interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a couple of questions on the finances as well. Um, mm -hmm. Now, looking at the last balance sheet, receivables stands out as very high at 342 million, um, which is tying up a lot of capital. Um, so my question there is, it, it looks like the clients are paying you quite slowly. And isn't, that, isn't there a risk then that those customers are almost using you like a bank to boost their own cash flow? Mm. Possibly a mis misconception here. Just to be really clear, we present both net fees but also revenues. So the number that we often major on and the analysts uh, forecast on is our net fees, which are around about the 400 million mark. But actually, that's our, effectively our, 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 uh, our share, our markup on our placements. Actually, what we bill to customers is our full revenues, which are 1.4 billion a year. So yeah. when you put 342 million in the context of annual billings of 1.4 billion, it actually um, hopefully looks a lot, lot less daunting. We're actually tracking it around debtor days of around 43 or 44 days, which actually um, oh, that's fine. Yeah, it's actually fine. So I think yeah. so I think it's just it just looks stark in the context of our net fees. It suddenly looks like maybe we're 12 months. No, we're actually very happy with our debtor days. Actually, yeah. Paul, just on just on cash flow, if if I don't if you don't mind me just explaining mm. one thing on our cash dynamic, which any uh, existing or prospective investors should probably understand about our business, particularly yeah, on it. the contract side, is that each time a new contractor uh, comes and works through us, um, we effectively there is a little bit of a out of sync payment profile, so we have to be paying them quite rapidly as they're a contractor that are invoicing us, or in some cases they'll be on our payroll. Um, and we have to pay them quite promptly, of course, because they're working. But there's a time delay in getting invoicing out and then getting payment on standard payment terms with some of our bigger customers. So typically, each time we add any one contractor or new contractor to our books, it, we have to sort of pre-fund about 10 or 10 to 12,000 pounds. Now, that means, in effect, as we're growing and if we grow rapidly, you've actually see a working capital outflow position, which looks quite strange. So you see growth, but you'll see our cash sometimes come down. That is just a natural part of a contracting model business. Yeah. What the, the, the flip side is that if you enter uh, downturns and clients um, stop wishing to take contracts from us and our number of contracts reduces, we'll instantly stop paying our contractors, but you'll still get for another two or three months the payments coming in from our, from our clients. So bizarrely, when you're in a downturn, we have a positive working capital inflow. So it's just a, a funny quirk of our business that you just need to be able to get your head around. Yeah, I've come across that before, actually. Yeah, um, okay. I, think, I, I think it was Empresaria, a very small uh, started yep. company explained yep. that to me a while ago and it was one of the reasons why they were terribly worried about the COVID shutdown because in the short term the cash flow actually improved. For, Absolutely for the, right. Absolutely. Yeah, right. yeah. a nice Perfect. fact for, factor for investors to bear in mind, yeah. the risk things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, that's great on that one. Thank you very much. Now also, looking at your balance sheet, you, uh, this is a nice problem to have here. It's particularly <laughs> strong. <laughs> um, yep. You know, so many... Um, Staffing companies run quite substantial bank debt to fund the receivables book, and you haven't got any yep. at all. It's net cash your position uh, you're in, plus you've got this unused £50 million bank facility. 
So my question is, with the share price this low, and given that really your balance sheet's overcapitalized, wouldn't it make sense to do some share buybacks to enhance earnings per share and shareholder value? Yeah, again, Paul, not the first time we've been asked that. I can't answer it directly. All, all, all I can say is that, um, I mean, we talk regularly at board level about what's right use of our cash and appropriate times, and we monitor our share price. So I'd say it's a, a topic that we discuss around the board table, but no firm decision on, on any um, anything such as a share buyback or accelerated dividends or anything at this point in time. Yeah. Although, all, all I would say more broadly is we're, we're we're more mid and long term focused rather than um, so when we talk about shareholder value, I'd rather not think too much about the short term and think about generating um, returns for them over a, a longer period of time. Yeah. And in that regard, our first use of cash would absolutely always be invest back into the business. Um, we mentioned earlier the the um, slightly unusual cash flow profile as you grow rapidly as contractors grow. So if we are going to continue to grow grow in the mid to long term, then we want to make sure we uh, we actually need the balance sheet to be able to fund those contractors and that outflow, the working capital outflow. Um, we've also got the strategic investments on the go at the moment with um, our CRM, ERP and HRI systems. So we have currently um, plenty of things on the go that we believe will drive the best return from our shareholders and actually improve our net fee performance and our margins in the, in the, in the medium term. So that's our that's our main focus. Um, probably just in terms of sharing cash with our valued um, shareholders, uh, we, we're, we're sticking with our current dividend policy, so we do pay a sustainable um, dividend. Um, but obviously, as we're growing and grow our EPS, it's based on our EPS cover. Um, as, as our performance grows, then of course our dividend grows, and we announced or, or signaled earlier in the year that we would pay in the kind of the top end of our dividend policy range. So we are making sure that our divvies are fulsome in the in the um, spirit of our policy. And we've also increased some buybacks into our EBT to fund LTIPs, et cetera, to capitalize on the lower share price. So so we do consider all of these things, but our number one use of cash um, it would be on organic growth. Um, might be worth touching on um, acquisitions as well, because yep. I think beyond, I'm sure, I'm sure it's of interest to you, Paul, as well, um, other, I mean, second to organic growth opportunities, which I think will always be number one. Um, we have been fairly clear with with our shareholders that acquisitions could well play a part in our strategy um, over the coming coming years. I think if it helps to support our strategy or accelerate our strategy, and we can do it, um, you know, we, we have pretty high hurdles about what would work for us. Um, some people would shy away from acquisitions in the staffing sector because it's a very people-focused business. But of course, we have very high hurdles about what would work for us, both from a financial point of view and from a cultural point of view. But it is absolutely something that we would monitor and consider. We don't have any immediate plans right now. We have enough on our plate with the investment programs. But, but acquisitions could well play a part of our story um, if we could find something that works for us. Yeah. Okay. And in terms of, oh, so you touched on the fact that it's very much a people business in in various different respects. So in terms of your own um, re recruitment consultants, um, how do you motivate the how do you motivate the best staff to stay with you 
Um, but I know there are often some, some, some really, really, uh, some real, uh, I don't know what you call them, uh, whales who generate huge amounts of feed. <laughs> so how do you stop them leaving and setting up on their own? Yeah, I would say that I take that over. So um, I think, um, yes, there's a, a certain degree of that probably in, in every kind of business, also in recruitment. But I think we at S3, we have um, built, I think, a pretty strong culture over the years, which in particular, many, many years now has also built a lot of loyalty, specifically from these good to high performing colleagues. The good part on the performance is specifically in the contract model is that once you have built up yourself a certain amount of contractors and you have then your continuous earnings, that's also um, quite a support or benefit from our side that it makes it for individuals more difficult to go because if they go, then they will lose their earnings, they will lose their contractors and it takes them quite some time to rebuild this. Mm. But I think next to these um, points, the most important thing is the culture, the people in itself, I mean, we are a people's company. Um, most of the decisions we do are in the interest of our people. We know when we take care of our staff, the staff takes care of the clients and the candidates and should therefore lead to, to better performance. So that's why uh, we have a relatively sizable um, L&D spend. Uh, we have a big HR department where we are continuously um, upgrading our employer value proposition. Uh, we're winning in quite a few countries, continuously really well-respected prices of being a top employer, um, where we are being audited just on the basis of what we offer from an overall compensation package point of view, but also connected to the benefits and uh, the overall um, flexibility we offer to our staff. And yeah, last but not least, uh, I think a scalable, uh, sizable company like ours obviously also offers uh, career opportunities. Um, and I think that's what um, many of our colleagues are being attracted by, not just in regard to management careers, but to really have different kind of careers, either on a global basis or also amongst um, different ways of how we uh, serve our customers. Um, last but not least, I would say is um, the importance for staff nowadays of how well processes are and how well also systems are is not to be underestimated. Um, it's probably one of the biggest um, points whether or not someone is satisfied or not satisfied because working with clunky systems is, mm -hmm. and you can see that in own studies but also in external studies, that this is one of the biggest frustrations employees often have. Um, we have an okay infrastructure there. It's a little bit dated because obviously it's, it's many, many, many years old and that's also why we have decided uh, on one side to do this investment to offer really um, a modern um, state-of-the-art technology platform to our staff, automate processes, um, obviously become more efficient with that. Yeah, that's, that's really important. But also to be able to, um, with many, many years now of experience in, in flexible talent to relook really look at, as well at our end-to-end -end processes on the contract side, so independent contract side and employed contract management side, because they are quite complex. And I think the better, the, the, the leaner, the more efficient we become on that, the more automated we become, become on that, um, the more profitable we get, but also on the other side, uh, the higher the satisfaction of our employees will be. Mm, yeah, very interesting. Um, 
Now, there's been quite a bit of interest in S3 from my readers on Stockopedia, where I write this daily small caps um, report. Um, are you planning on or have you done any webinars for private investors where they can ask more detailed questions? Because I think there's a considerable appetite for that. Andrew, you want we, to go for that? Yeah, no, that's a good point. We haven't specifically done that, but definitely um, happy to talk to you more about that to understand what some of your, your readers are asking for and what we could do to help. We we are planning to run um, a series of um, investor events. We announced um, yesterday, actually, to introduce a bit more themed topics um, around the business over the coming months. Um, I think we'll just need to look carefully at who our uh, invite list and distribution list is for that to make sure we cover the right audiences. Yeah, because I know I personally absolutely love the, the webinars where, you know, management do a sort of 20-minute, half-hour presentation and yeah. then half an hour of Q&A. They're fan a fantastic way to introduce uh, private investors to companies and management. So uh, I I'd, I'd strongly urge you to, to, yes. to push ahead and do those. There's, yeah. there's, there's definitely an appetite for them amongst my readers, for sure. Great. Definitely. Um, Thank you, Paul. Thank you. Great, thanks. Um, and um, finally, I think we've covered everything. We're more or less out of time. But are, are there any final points that you'd like to get across that we haven't covered so far? No, I think we've covered a lot of points. I would say there's not much to add, but perhaps just to summarize quickly from our side. Um, mm -hmm. We truly believe we're a unique um, business with an incredible opportunity in front of us due to these underlying megatrends which we talked about and which will, and I think society, governments just started to really realize, even though it should not have been a surprise, this immense shortage of labor um, overall, but also in particular within STEM. And due to our really, I think, excellent relationships, long building networks, and I think we're really equipped in the right countries and in the right markets, um, we are in a really great position in the next four, five, six years, three years, two years, to really capitalize on this. And I think what you have seen in this world, so when you ask about it, why are we continuously so performing so well, I think everyone has just seen the start of that. And we're very positive about the overall future. Sounds really good. Fantastic. Great. Well, let's wrap it up there, gents. And I uh, really appreciate you taking the time to do this. I know the readers will uh, find this very interesting. So thank you uh, very much indeed. Pleasure. Thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Okay. Bye for now. Goodbye.